In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the Daily Memphian Tiger Podcast. Today, I'm Jonah Jordan. Today, my guest is Christian Bauer from Go Tigers 247, and we're going to be talking about National Signing Day and the Memphis Tigers game this weekend against Wake Forest. Um, Christian, how are you doing? What's up, Jonah? Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. Um, so, National Signing Day is come and gone. Memphis is done. 15 signees, 14 high school players, plus one transfer, a couple of JUCO guys sprinkled in. Um, so, what did you think of yesterday? I thought it was a great day for Coach Mike Norvell and the staff uh, to be able to get 15 guys as early signees and to go ahead and get them locked down is huge. Uh, the biggest part of it was clearly flipping uh, Jalil Clemens, three-star defensive end from Starkville High School from Tennessee and getting him to sign with Memphis. Getting a flip is one thing to get somebody to commit, but they actually got him to sign yesterday along with his teammate Rodriguez Clark. To, so to get those guys and other few highly rated defensive ends, so I, I think Coach Mike Novell and his staff really killed it yesterday. Yeah, they really prioritized guys on the defensive line and outside linebackers. You mentioned Jaleel Clemens, who out of Starkville, Mississippi, um, and then Rodriguez, and they got a couple more targets out there, but they um, they hit the they hit the pass rushing pretty hard. Why do you think that is? I think partly because I mean we've I've talked about this a bunch that they need guys to come in and fill that depth at defensive line because. They don't really have a lot of guys who can play, and you're playing O'Brien Goodson a lot of snaps, Joseph Dorsey a lot of snaps. What would you think? I'm kind of in the same boat with you there. Uh, the pass rush actually improved a lot this season with Bryce Huff stepping up and getting a nine-and-a-half sacks going into the bowl game. Uh, but you still need depth. Like you said, three guys mainly play those three defensive linemen spots, so it gets tough rotating those guys in and out. Uh, three to four guys, like you said, with Dorsius as well. So they need depth there. I think five of their – all five of their top signees yesterday on the defensive side of the ball were all defensive ends, and those guys are really interchangeable in the system. It depends whether they want to put them an outside linebacker or a defensive end. So they got some highly rated guys that could come in and help right away, and then that kind of goes back to getting Coyote Oladell from Auburn last year. So the defensive line is going to look a little bit different. Outside linebackers are going to look a little different, but they definitely improved their pass rush. Yep, and pass rush, that means we get to talk about my favorite signee, my favorite over the last – two or three years, Cole Mashburn. Don't roll your eyes. Cole Mashburn, Norman, Oklahoma, defensive end, outside linebacker. Mike Norvell dropped it on his radio show last night. Not many people know Cole can play tight end and fullback. What do you think? I know you love Cole. I've heard you talk about Cole ad nauseum ever since I started working with you, Jonah. So I know your love affliction for for Cole, but he he he's really awesome. he really is a good player though. Uh, right now he's the second highest rated. He was the highest rated player in the class for three months until Clemens hopped on board on signing day. Uh, but but he he really is. He's a big bodied guy. Uh, his he's not necessarily a pass rush specialist. He's very good in the run game as well, which I think is is overlooked a lot by by not necessarily coaches, but fans nowadays when it comes to pass rushers or defensive ends, they just look at the pass rush and they don't yeah. look how they play in run support. Cole's very good in run support, and like you said, he's a versatile athlete, and also he gets to come uh, be reunited with his brother, Cade Mashburn. I'm so excited. If the Mashburns play next year, it's going to be just like when Joseph Dorsey started playing fullback a lot. I'm just going to be unbearable to everybody in the press box. It's going to be terrible. Okay, so underrated guys. This class 
you know, not a lot of four or five stars. Like in class of 2017, you had guys who were like super highly rated. You had Obeneze, you had TJ Carter. You got highly rated guys in this class, but once you get past them, there's not a lot of stars. And, you know, these guys, the coaches will tell you stars don't matter, stars don't matter, because they don't. I mean, these guys rely on evaluation a lot, and that's what is important. Um, I have a sleeper pick, but I want to hear yours first. You want two? I can give you two if you want that. Give me two. I know they're not going to be the same one as me. Okay, so my first one is not necessarily the lowest rated guy, uh, but he's somewhere in the middle with Sheldon Lehman. I don't think he's going to come in. You knew I was going with Sheldon Lehman yeah. there. But I don't I don't think he's going to come in immediately or anything and start over Brady White. Uh, but he, he's a very good athlete. He's, I feel like he's an underrated athlete at the quarterback position. Um, he's gotten a little bit more height. He's around six foot now. Uh, but I was I was talking about it earlier. The, the two biggest things, if when you look past arm strength and all those things, accuracy, uh, for a quarterback is intelligence and confidence. And Sheldon Lehman has both of those in a big way. He's, he's very confident in his ability. Uh, his, his ball is actually really, I've watched plenty of his film. His ball is really good. Uh, he's got a good deep ball. Uh, overall, he's just a very confident athlete. And that personally, that's one of my favorite things about these football players is how confident they are coming in. And Sheldon's certainly one of them. My second guy is Brian Thomas, the offensive lineman from Hutchinson Community College. Uh, he's definitely a, a, could be a big piece to this class with Trevon Tate and Roger Joseph both graduating and moving on after the Wake Forest game. So both tackle spots will be open. Uh, Brian Thomas is around 6'4", 3'10". He put on about 35 pounds this year of, of basically muscle, and he, he's somebody that I'll be looking forward to come in next year and have a chance at starting. He'll definitely get an opportunity, uh, in my opinion, to play pretty early on. Him and Matt Dale both. Oh, um, for sure. We'll both get a shot because you're always in Roger Joseph. You're always in Trevante. I think that right tackle spot will be between Dale, Joseph, and then my boy Scotty Dill. And then left tackle will be one of those two guys and Obena Eze. See if Obena can finally go out there and do the dang thing. But my sleeper, Everett Cunningham. There, That's a guy right there y'all people need to watch out for. People need to learn his name. He's somebody who could potentially step in and be their best defensive end next year. He's long, athletic. Memphis is ecstatic to get him. They didn't – nobody thought – not nobody. They weren't sure. They weren't sure. Like, he visited last weekend. He said he's going to put out his top three. I don't even think I ever saw his top three. He just ended up signing. Like, we were sitting in the forum last night, and it was like, oh, we both of our phones started blowing up. Pull, it's like, pull your laptop out. He's <laughs> um, I mean, he's – just really, really good. Um, he's a guy Tennessee tried to get in on late and almost was able to. I bet if he had waited a little bit longer, Tennessee may have been able to seal the deal. Um, Indiana, UCF, UAB, all three of those schools really wanted him. And those two schools, especially at the end there, who really rely on their evaluations, who have made a living out of going out and getting guys like Everett Cunningham to come in and step in and produce right away. So I'm really excited about him. You mentioned Sheldon Lehman. I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. Some people really, really are adamant that Brady White, you know, probably maybe shouldn't be the quarterback next year. I had Dan Wilkin on last week, and he was saying that Mike Norvell needs to go out and find a quarterback, or things may not go as well next year because you don't have a Daryl Henderson. I I don't know. I think that the weapons coming back, they could be just as good. The schedule takes a step back. I don't think Ole Miss is going to be any good next season. So you're starting off the game against somebody who's probably bad. Redshirt freshman quarterback, a bad offensive line. Um, your defense probably isn't great. But that's a whole other separate <laughs> podcast we could do. Um, so what do you think? What do you think about their quarterback situation and their quarterback room right now? 
I mean, you could really make an argument for it either way. Like you said, Dan said they should probably go in the grad transfer market and try to look for somebody. So I'll start with that and, and touch on that a little bit. I could see him go in that direction. You're always going to reach out and try to find the best players that you possibly can and that you can't knock any coach for doing that. So I would not doubt him whatsoever going out and, and testing the grad transfer, grad transfer market. It's definitely possible. Um, but then when you go to the flip side of that, Brady White – didn't do a terrible job this season. And, and you know, I've, I've felt this way since the beginning of the year that he got a little bit too much flack. Uh, I mean, it was the first time he had been starting since 2016. He took care of the football. He had two surgeries. Right. People don't realize. He had two, one to two. I've heard two, maybe one. He definitely had surgery on his foot, major surgery. And people don't want to take that into account, but continue. So, you, I mean, like you said, surgeries, he didn't play for two years. You've got to take a step back and look look at how difficult that is. I mean, that's basically a freshman quarterback. I think he played two games at Arizona State, and there's no way you can learn everything you need to know as a college quarterback in only two games. So he got this whole season to start and kind of sit back a little more, learn defenses a little more, and then get, get adjusted into Norvell's system. And I think you saw uh, towards the middle of the season he, he was kind of having a – bad year I wouldn't necessarily say a bad year but people were saying that especially in the Missouri game uh and as the season progressed he looked better and better and I know people are going to point to the Houston game and say he had the two bad interceptions that's just playing quarterback you play quarterback one of those was tipped yeah one of those was tipped one was one was bad one was bad but it's part of playing quarterback you you make mistakes and you're supposed to have what people say quote unquote the amnesia trait and I feel like that's something Brady White has is when you make mistakes you just put those behind you it's going to happen it's going to happen in any sport you're going to make mistakes everything's not going to be perfect Uh, and I think he did that well only throwing seven interceptions I believe uh 25 touchdowns 25 touchdowns over 3,000 yards so he had his moments uh and he'll have a whole offseason to and this is a big point I don't think many people have made his leg strength Leg strength. Uh, if you listen, yep. if you listen to any quarterback gurus talk about it, seventy percent of your throws come from your legs. Uh, and Brady hasn't been able to build up that strength as much as he might need to. So because of that injury, and right. he he started moving better at the end of the season. That's something I asked Norvell about that at practice recently about how he's moving, how he's done. They're, they were really impressed, especially in the UCF game. You finally saw the Brady White that they recruited. Not that he hasn't been good, but it was the guy that at Arizona State who had a really strong arm and could also move around with his feet. We haven't seen necessarily the arm strength, but he's a fantastic game manager. He's moving around a little bit better. But now he's going to enter the offseason. I do wonder if they're going to hit the grad transfer market. There are a bunch of quarterbacks out there transferring. There's going to be a lot of movement. I mean, there's a lot of good guys out there that they could go and get to add to that quarterback room to to increase the competition. That's something Norvell is adamant about is competition, competition, competition. Uh, it's something he talked about last night on the National Signing Day show, that Sheldon Lehman's going to come in and increase that competition. So I'm interested to see what they do. I'm, I'm wondering if the lack of noise we've heard on that is because they don't technically have a, a quarterback coach yet. Norvell's been handling those duties and – doing the offensive coordinator thing and the head coaching thing. So, moving on from quarterbacks, um, they only got one running back in this class. Rodriguez-Clark, you've touched on him a little bit. Do you think that means next year is going to have to be a pretty big running back class, or do do you think they're fine going forward? I think next year you'll see them target much more running backs. Obviously, this year they wanted Jared Conner as well. He ended up flipping the Ole Miss. So, they were prioritizing running back, but I don't think they're – they're freaking out over just getting Rodriguez Clark whatsoever. Because when you when you sit back and you look at it, they've got Patrick Taylor obviously coming back for his senior year. Uh, he will assume the head role. 
which I don't think anybody should panic about that because no. Patrick Taylor is an incredible running back. And then you kind of start to pick it apart a little bit. Uh, we haven't heard if Tony Pollard is going to stay or not yet. I would assume he's going to stay for his redshirt senior season. And he was getting a lot more work at running back towards the end of the year. And especially if you go back to the Missouri game when Daryl Henderson was out, Tony Pollard got, I believe, twelve to t- 10 to 12 carries in that game. So they're not afraid to hand Tony Pollard the ball out of the backfield, not just as a gadget player. And then you also look at redshirt. He will be upcoming redshirt freshman Kenny Gainwell. Oh my guy, I, I know that's that's another <laughs> one of your guys is, is Kenny Gainwell. But he's somebody that's in the same mold as Tony Pollard. He can come in, play receiver, play running back, and then you have Rodriguez, who I believe is is criminally underrated. I think I think he wasn't given enough credit. He came off the leg injury two years ago, and and a lot of schools cooled off on him. He had over seventeen hundred yards his junior season. He had fifteen hundred total yards uh, this past season so I think he's a good running back he doesn't have the speed that Daryl Henderson has I know a lot of Memphis fans yeah. are going to be expecting that nowadays after Daryl um, but he does he doesn't have that he does have good vision though uh, and he has pretty decent power for being 5'11 205 you know they'll put more weight on him he'll probably end up playing about 215 or 220 so I like what Rodriguez brings to the table but next year once Patrick and Tony will be Tony gone. Both gone. Yeah, then then they'll have to hit the running back market pretty hard. There's a kid coming out of Briarcrest that's pretty good. I'm pretty sure he's already a Memphis target. They've had him in for an unofficial visit. Um but like you said, I'm Tony Pollard's gonna be interesting to watch. He can grad transfer. I I don't expect he will. There hasn't been any talk about it at all. I think the only talk has been that, oh, he graduated so he can technically grad transfer now if he wanted to, but I don't think there is any desire there to do that. But they have, I think an interesting conundrum ahead of them that okay we've got Rodriguez we've got Tim Taylor we've got Patrick Taylor we've got Kenny and Tony at what point do you decide because I've used Tony as both wide receiver and um running back and he was probably I mean their second best receiver this year at what point do you decide okay when are, are we going to play Tony all at running back only or at wide receiver and running back, or is that going to take away from what we're doing? I think that is a big problem they've got going ahead of them. But they do have Kenny. They do have Rodriguez. I think they're going to have to hit wide receiver and running back pretty hard next year because they need depth. They need depth at both of those positions. Like they have DeMonte, but behind DeMonte, who is there? You have Kadarian Jones, Machane. You've got a couple freshmen this year and Taj Washington, who we'll talk about here in a second because I love that kid Um, because I think he could potentially be another Pop Williams-type mold speedy receiver. But beyond that, I think the cupboard's a little bare. So we'll see. This year was heavy defense, but I bet next year we'll see heavy offense. So moving on, um, wide receiver, Taj Washington, What'd you think? What, what did you think of the the way this offensive class shook out? Well, starting with Taj Washington, like you said, uh, 5'10", 170 pounds, not a big guy. Um, but if you paid attention to Memphis football, you, you don't have to be the biggest guy or the strongest guy or even the fastest guy to make a difference. So I, I think Taj can make an impact down the road. I don't necessarily see him coming in as a freshman and making a huge impact. Uh, but for those that don't know, he's a return man, kick and punt returns. He's very good at both of those. Uh, and he also had a huge receiving threat this year. In his last game, he had 150-plus yards and three touchdowns. So he's definitely a dynamic player. 
Uh, he's somebody that you'll see get involved at some point down the road. And he, like you were talking about, Pop Williams, he could be in that same mold. Uh, punt returner, mainly use him on screens uh, and stuff like that. So I could see Taj filling that role at some point. I think he's a little bit more athletic uh, than Pop Williams is. So we'll see down the road with him. I would expect a red shirt there, though. And then to go a little bit more on the, uh, on the offensive side of the ball for this class, um, we touched on the offensive line a little bit, but I think it, that's the most important part. I think it's where this class on offense pretty much starts and ends uh, with three of those guys that have been staples of this offense for so many years uh, with so many good offenses are now gone with Trevon Tate, Roger Joseph, uh, and Drew Kaiser. I mean, that's three guys that have had probably 100 starts altogether, if not more. Yeah. I mean, they've started; they've all started every game of their career that they've been here. So those are, those are three big pieces that are gone, and you have to fill those in. You've talked about some of the guys that could come in uh, but they they have three offensive linemen in this class yeah. with Dale, Likes, and Thomas. So that was the most important part. I think they filled that pretty well. Uh, we haven't touched on Likes yet, but he actually has a, a knee injury. He has a knee injury that we wrote, wrote about the other day. He uh, Five to nine months, ACL and meniscus. I don't even think he's gotten his surgery yet. I haven't uh, haven't asked. I think he – yeah, he was at his signing day the other day. He, he didn't have – he hasn't had his surgery. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's going to be slowed down a little bit. But other than that, I think they nailed the offensive linemen. I mean, they need they knew they needed to hit that pretty hard. Um, so we've covered a lot of guys that have signed, but I think an interesting part of this is guys that didn't, guys that are committed that have not signed. That You have Ja'Shawn Watkins, three-star athlete out of Nashville. Guy Asi Madison, another three-star out of Nashville. Travis Hopper, a local kid, another defensive tackle that, I mean, everybody really likes, but – who had offers from Clemson, Auburn, a bunch of really, really good teams. And then Jalen Sims, Alabama um, Alabama outside linebacker who killed the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game. And then I think he was expected to sign early, was he not? And then he killed it in that game and decided to wait till later. But that may just be more of a numbers thing. So guys that didn't sign. Do you think Memphis is going to be able to hold on to some of these? Because I think it could be difficult. I mean, they've done this before where they push the numbers. And they, It's going to be a small class. They signed 15 already. So they're leaving their best guys for last, which is how it goes. Do you think they could lose any of these guys or any of these guys could end up not coming to Memphis? Uh, looking at them right now, everyone looks pretty solid. Every one of them that I've talked to seems pretty solid. Once again, it's recruiting. It's fluid. It's nonstop. Uh, you never know who could get involved with these guys at some point, especially when you start getting more towards the February signing day, the national signing day. Teams are missing out on guys that they thought they had or they're having guys flip that they were counting on having. And that's when they scramble and come to schools like Memphis and start offering their players and yep. saying, come jump on board with us. So you never really know there. Uh, it seems really solid. And one of those players is possibly him and Jaleel Clemens are my two favorite players in the class, and that's Jay Sean Watkins. Uh, it doesn't get much better than a six three and a half corner. No, nope. it, it's the, it's the way that college football and football in general is trending now, uh, with the bigger, taller, more athletic receivers. You have to combat that on defense with bigger, taller, more athletic corners, and it's something that you're seeing even even Memphis do with some of the guys they signed on signing day with guys like John Broussard, six foot, Gabe Rogers, six foot. So they're getting bigger in the defensive backfield. I believe Guy C. Madison's six foot as well. Yep. Uh, so across the board, you see them upgrading there at the defensive back position as far as size goes. Uh, but Jay Sean, six three and a half, is is a massive corner. Uh, <laughs> I've watched him. I've watched plenty of his film. He has no problem pressing. He has no problem playing zone. And when you get a taller corner, the biggest thing is is can he rotate his hips with those guys? Can he hang with those uh, shiftier slot receivers or outside receivers? And as far as the eye test goes from watching Jay Sean, 
Uh, absolutely, I've seen him flip his hips with with some of the some of the best kids in Nashville. So I'm excited about him. Hopefully, they'll be able to hang on to him and and be able to wrap him up on signing day. But I think he can make a difference immediately. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you see the quotes from this kid. He's hyper competitive. He's smart. Um, and he is six foot three and a half. That's something Memphis has been trying to do for a while now. Because when Norvell got here, the defensive backfield was small, and it's remained small. I mean, T.J. Carter isn't the biggest guy in the world. Uh, Tito Windham. Not either. Jacoby Francis, Timurray Smith, these guys aren't huge. And it was something that happened in the Iowa State Bowl game last year is when they were faced with a guy who's like 6'5". All he had to do is, you know, play Al- bigger. Alan Lazard's a big boy. Yep, he's huge. And he just destroyed them, and it was a huge problem. So they went and prioritized uh, Jalen Reed, three-star out of Mississippi, a guy that I thought they were going to get for the longest time. Mississippi State had fallen away. It was like Memphis, Oregon, UTSA, and then I think... Mississippi State came around back in the end, like a week before sign- the late signing period, and we were able to swoop them away. Or Memphis, you know, they would have one of those bigger corners, but they don't right now. And that's that's been a big problem that I think keeping Deshaun Watkins, if you can get him eligible, you can get him in, you can get him straightened out. Maybe a later type guy, but if if you get him in, he's really, really good. Like, he, play, he will play day one. Your three corners that you start day one are Deshaun, John Broussard and TJ Carter, you're in a really, really good spot. Instead of guys roaming free in the secondary, maybe you're going to have a little bit less of that. I think safety play is just as important. I mean, you've talked about that a lot, that they struggle in the back end. I mean, those guys have also been injured a lot. Like, Tyrez has struggled with injuries the last two seasons. Josh Perry, too. And Sanchez Blake has basically stepped into a role. And then Carlito Gonzalez got hurt, too. So, if you come in with a fully healthy young secondary that includes some of these guys tj rushing is going to be a happy camper man <laughs> it's a it's a good problem to have with with three to five guys that just one you know at the corner spot that can that can contribute so like you said it's a, it's a good problem to have um I will, I will look for the second secondary to be upgraded next season with these guys coming in i mean even even if say something happened they weren't able to get jay sean to have a guy like John Broussard who's familiar with these systems, familiar with multiple defenses, come in and be able to line up opposite of T.J. Carter. And a lot of people have talked about how T.J. Uh, digressed a little bit in his sophomore season. Well, a lot of that is because he's wearing the weight of the world over yep. on his shoulders over there by himself with the safeties. I mean, like you said, the safety position was a revolving door this year with Tyrez, Josh, Sanchez, uh, Landre Thomas. Uh, it was a different safety every week, it seemed Laundry. like. I forgot about Laundry. Yep, he's yeah. been out the entire season. So, it, I mean, it's it's difficult, especially in the secondary where, you you know, you're not next to each other every play. Like, for instance, the defensive line, they all get to communicate and talk mm-hmm. to each other on every play. Secondary, you're more spread out. you got to use hand signals and communicate. And if it's some of those guys that don't get playing time or are thrown in there, like a Jacoby Francis was early in the year against Tulane, then that gets difficult for a, a leadership guy like, like TJ to – to step back and try to worry about everybody else and worry about covering his half of the field. So I think that's I think that's what we saw this season with the secondary uh, lack of continuity, injuries. Yeah. Uh, but but next year that that shouldn't be a problem. So mentioned guys that haven't signed that are committed, but guys that you know they have more scholarships to fill. So you got a couple targets out there like Zach Edwards. Um, I bet they add four, three, four more. I bet. Um, I think inside linebacker Zach Edwards, three-star out of Mississippi, is a good target to watch for. And then they went and offered um, 
a wide receiver recently. Um, I do not know how to say his first name, but his last name is Griffin. Um, a guy I've asked around about, and people seem to like, and they wanted to add another receiver because, like I've said before, depth there is kind of limited. Um, what do you What do you think in there on guys they could go and add before signing the late signing period? No, I'm with you. I think those are the two biggest names to watch for. Dywan Griffin, I Dywan. believe. I believe that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> uh, but he's been a late riser out of Louisiana, I believe. Uh, he he didn't really get much recruiting attention, and then right here recently, he's been blowing up and getting offers from everywhere. So he's one to watch out for. But also with those guys that kind of blow up late, you've got to watch for those big schools getting involved and coming in and and trying to fill scholarships as well. So that always becomes a tough rat race to to maneuver. So. That'll be one that plays out over the next few months that we'll have to watch for. And Zach Edwards is is what I would consider the number one target for the rest of the way. They got Clemens wrapped up. They got Clark wrapped up from from Starkville. Now you know they're putting a full court press on Zach Edwards. He's uh, he would be their highest rated commit if if they were to get him. So it just goes even more into this defensive class and what it brings. So yep, yeah, we've we've hit recruiting pretty hard here, and now in a few days we're going to be down at the Birmingham Bowl. Um, you and I both will be down there. Um, Memphis first Wake Forest, December 22nd. Um, I think this is a winnable game for the Tigers. I think it is a game we're going to learn a little bit about a lot of guys. Um, I'm interested to see if we see any freshmen play in that game. I thought we may, but I talked to Norvell about it the other day after practice, and he did not sound hopeful. That He, he sounded like he wanted a bunch of freshmen to play. Um, they like, but they've used up the amount of games they can play with Kenny, with a couple other guys, and it sounds. But it sounds like a couple of freshmen will travel, and it'll be something to watch out for. But um, tell us a little bit about this Wake Forest team. I know they're a good running team. Um, they're playing their backup quarterback, but they're in. They're a little bit injured and a little banged up. What do you think? Yeah, so they've been playing their number two quarterback for the majority of the season, uh, which I, I, they're a running team in general, but when your starting quarterback is hurt, you're obviously going to shift more to a running team, and you've seen that from Wake Forest. But it, I want to flip it to the defensive side because I believe they're the worst defensive team in the ACC, which bodes very well for Memphis. <laughs> um, I, I think it'll end up being a high-scoring game. Uh, I think the best thing that plays in the Memphis's favor on the defensive side of the ball would be that Wake Forest is a running team, and Memphis's run defense has been – it's gone under the radar this year. It's It's been pretty impressive when they've had their guys healthy. Uh, we talked about their rotation of defensive linemen and how thin it is, but when they have O'Brien, Emmanuel, Jonathan Wilson, and Joseph Dorseyus on the field, and they're able to at least do a little bit of rotation with those guys, the run defense is actually really good. Same thing as – I mean, that obviously goes into the inside linebackers as well with Curtis Akins and J.J. Russell and, and Tim Hart. Uh, he started to play a little bit more in the championship game and actually played pretty well. Uh, he's one that, that many people have been wondering about where he's been, but he played well in the championship game. So with Wake Forest being a running team, I think Memphis has the advantage there. Uh, yeah. Their run defense has been, what, probably the best, one of the better in the AAC this year. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's been great. But, I mean, when you're scoring 45 <laughs> points a game, it's hard to run on a team. So that's that's another advantage for Memphis. Uh, even without Daryl Henderson, I know a lot of people are worried about what this offense is going to look like without Daryl, I don't think you'll see much of a – as far as schematically, I don't think you'll see a big change. Uh, we saw what they did when, when Daryl went down against Missouri. Uh, that was obviously a, a – It was the same exact thing. They yeah. put Patrick Gaylord back right, in the backfield. Right. <laughs> and that was, a, that was a much better team than Wake Forest. So, I, I don't think they'll have any problem running the ball. Uh, we've talked about how experienced and how good their offensive line is. Um, but I, the biggest thing I will be looking for is, you know, what's Brady looking like 
two and a half, three weeks after the AAC championship game? Has he, how much film has he watched? Because we know he's a film Hold junkie. On. Yeah, we know he's a film junkie. So I feel like he's going he's gonna to be the biggest piece of this game. You don't have Daryl Henderson, and you have a, a guy, a really smart quarterback that's watched a ton of film on this defense, and he's going to have a chance to, oh, yeah. he's going to have a chance to show what he can do. It was like the night before the Tigers left for, Orlando and I got a text from someone like hey Brady's still in the office watching film it was like 12 at night I was like oh my god the guy the guy is serious business when it comes to that but I'm expecting a lot of Brady White um I think they're gonna try and use the little RPO little play action stuff um but I want to I want to see how the tight ends play again under Tony Tokars for the first game uh, a little bit more Joe Eden Magnifico maybe a little bit more Sean Dykes um, but but you're right. That defense hasn't been solid all season. Um, I mean, they gave up 41 to Boston College, 56 to Notre Dame, 63 to Clemson, 38 to Florida State, 41 to Syracuse, uh, 34 to Pitt. So then they had kept Duke to seven. But I think that's more of an outlier than how this team really is. But I think it's time to wrap it up. I've held Christian here for long enough. Um, and we're clo- coming close to here in the Daily Memphian Podcast Studio. Um, I want to thank Christian Fowler for his time and coming on with me today. You can follow his work at C underscore Fowler 14 on Twitter. Um, I'd like to thank the OM Network. And you can find us wherever you find your podcasts, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community. The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.